Hey, it's Phil Simon. My new book is out now. It is called The Nine, The Tectonic Forces Reshaping the Workplace. It's my best work to date, and I hope that you'll check it out. Thanks. See you. Hi, Milton. What's happening? I'm sorry. Um, I'm going to have to ask you to go ahead and move your desk again. So if you could go ahead and get it as far back against that wall as possible, that would be great. No. Conversations about collaboration, episode 33. Best-selling author David Berkus and I discuss are you ready for this? Remote work, the difference between presence and productivity, Van Halen, bad Instagram ideas, and office space. Let's rock and roll. David, where does this pod find you? I am in Tulsa, Oklahoma, staring at what is like the end of seven days of rain. Uh, I say end, we probably have three or four more. That is springtime, thunderstorms, the whole bit. So it's quite green, but it's also quite wet. And you're in the desert, which is like the polar opposite of where I am right now. Yeah, rain, you'll have to familiarize me with that with that term. What's that? It's sort of like snow, the thing you see in like Hallmark movies, the fake version of it, but it doesn't stick. It just falls and then everything gets wet. It's kind of It's kind of like that. Gotcha, gotcha. Let's bust right into it. Uh, your new book is awesome. Uh, I can't believe how quickly you banged it out. Um, I want to talk about a lot of things, but uh, one of the things that struck me as I read the book was it, uh, and you back up your claims with, with research and data, so you're not just riffing, uh, but you're making the point that we want to return to the old world of work, but the old world of work we're romanticizing, but it wasn't particularly good. Say more. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think there's two elements to that, right? One is that the old world of work isn't possible, right? There's this grand misconception, right? Where we think that COVID caused all these pivots. The great work from home experiment caused everybody to not actually all that true. I think instead it just sort of accelerated everything that was going on, right? Um, Scott Galloway talks about this in the lens of e-commerce, that there was a 10 year leap in adoption of e-commerce because of the the pandemic. Well, it's been the same in terms of the way we work and the way we collaborate, right? Work from home, working remotely, having more flexible work environments. All of these things were an upward trend that we were forced into a situation where we had to make a 10-year leap in, right? And, And we did, and it's working okay, but yeah, we're getting nostalgic for the way things were. That's that's normal when people have it. The, the difference is like, let's not forget, there's certain things that were broken, right? Like people talk about how Zoom meetings are terrible. Well, like in-person meetings were pretty bad too. Remember that? Like, remember when we, remember when we used to claim like, oh, this whole meeting, I wish it was just an email. And now that we have too many emails, we're like, I wish I could be back in in-person conference rooms. That doesn't make all that much sense. That's a pretty short-term memory, right? And so it's sort of like, um, the the question isn't how do we go back or even kind of what is the what is the future the new normal look like it's it's more like what do we want to create right we have this opportunity we've all practiced uh, at this point in not in a knowledge work economy we've all pa- practiced working and collaborating much more remotely than we ever had before now let's have the conversation about what strengths we want to pull out of that. And which ones, yeah, we do want to go back to the office from time to time, right? And that's why we call the book the leading from anywhere. And the whole idea is that the future of work is working from anywhere because it's never been a binary option to begin with. Uh, And I'm I'm excited for that, quite frankly. As soon as people start committing to this idea that we could build any work environment we want, so what one do we want to build that leverages the strengths and weaknesses of both? 
well, then we have a better chance of creating more engaging workplaces to begin with. I couldn't agree more. I mean, if you watch Mad Men, which I frequently do, you know, Don Draper used to work at home in the mid sixties. Now, you know, he wasn't using his smartphone, right? So yeah, I, yeah, I agree with you. It's, I mean, it's maybe more prevalent now, maybe it's easier. And, and you could make the argument that there's never a great time for a pandemic, but when it comes to work, because we've got these tools, I mean, and, and you know, the data and the surveys, people have been as, if not more productive working from home. Yeah. In fact, people being productive is is a lot of the problem, right? When we were in July, August, September of last year, and everybody was talking about burnout a lot and, and rightly so, right? And how do I support the mental health of my team, et cetera? The primary driver of it was that we were burning out, right? We were working too much. We were at least as productive and in many cases more productive, right? And so um, I mean, that's a, that's a win in, in some ways, that's a win in the column of work from home at, at the very least, because it corrected this misconception that work from home meant not working. Right. And for a lot of smart, savvy leaders and, and team, team managers and things like that, it corrected this assumption that presence equaled productivity that, you know, if I can see you, then I know you're working. Well, now we know that's not true, right. That you're, that most people, I mean, yeah, there are some people that you have to invite to be present in a different organization, but most people have figured out how to make this work and are getting work done uh, working alone. The, the big key is how well we're working alone together. And that is something I think, you know, that's what I, what I love about your book and your focus is how do we do that together part of working alone together? Um, but it's working for the most part. And so I think that leads to, I'm not a I'm not like naive. Uh, I don't think that we're going to have this massive surge in the number of remote first companies and things like that. Outside of tech, we're going to see very few of it. But my hope is that almost every organization ends up having a flexible work policy that actually works for people. And I think the average, at least in the United States where we both are, the average knowledge worker will probably spend a quarter to 30, 35% of his or her time out of the office working somewhere else. Could be home, could be somewhere else. Um, and I like that. I'm excited by that idea because that that means work is going to work for a whole lot more people. I've said for a long time, going back to uh, a 2015 book message not received about business communication, how we're working isn't working. And I agree. If you are trying to replicate a broken in-person thing or business process through a virtual way, best case scenario, you'll go back to where you were. And to your point, you'll miss that opportunity. Right? Churchill said, never waste a good crisis. Right. So now there is this opportunity for companies to take a look at what was working and what wasn't. Um, and you've got some great examples of, as you said, it's, it's easier for remote first companies. So Basecamp or Automatic, they didn't have to switch anything, right? Because right. what really changed for them. But as you know, the challenge is for organizations to navigate this new normal. And there's some great examples in the book, but I'm of the belief and a lot of the articles that I've read have more or less said, look, it's actually harder to do hybrid. If you're all remote, then everyone's equal. If you're all in person, then everyone's equal. But if some people are there some of the time and some people aren't, that gets tricky on a number of levels. What do you think about that? Yeah, I I think um I think I think the majority of organizations that are moving towards a hybrid strategy are trying to answer the wrong question. Uh the best thing I heard of, of it uh was that essentially having a hybrid policy requires more of a plan than does bringing everybody back or doing all remote? Because it, it matters. Like if you could say, "Oh, everybody is flexible," um, and you can you can spend up to fifty percent of your time working from anywhere, but all of the senior leaders are choosing to spend hundred percent of their time at the office, then it's actually you can spend fifty percent of your time working from anywhere if you don't care about your career, right? Which is not the message we want to send. So we need to make sure senior leadership is very showy about the fact that they're not always there, that they're working remotely, and what have you. Um, I also think I see a lot of people go, oh, we're going to go to a days. Like I was just listening to an interview today 
with somebody who was announcing, yeah, we're going to, to three days in the office, two days from home. Like, okay, what happens if there's like an emergency and it's Wednesday night and everybody's going to be out because it's Thursday. And also you're going to have people come in Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Who wants to come to the office on Friday? Like, did you think about a lot of organizations would be better served with almost a core hour strategy, right? Like, okay, there is no set time where you're on and off, but you can only schedule meetings between 10 and two, right? And that way we know if we're going to schedule meetings, especially an in-person meeting, like the subtle message sent is we're there in those times. But you want to come in early and leave early, great. You want to not come in till 10 and stay later, great. We don't care, right? But we're synchronized on that. Um, so I'm with you. I think hybrid takes actually more of a plan than shifting to remote or for calling everybody back. One of the great examples of the book is from, am I pronouncing this right? Virtus? Yeah, Virtus. Yep. Virtus. Yeah, talk to me about that because I thought it was really fascinating. And I'd read years ago about core work hours and companies like Automatic saying, you know, we don't expect you to be responsive around the clock because if you think about it, workday would never end. Right. Right. And in fact, uh, in my own book, I mentioned, I think it's a bunch of developers in Belarus working with some company in Manhattan. And the, the Manhattan CEO would say, yeah, why don't we meet nine o'clock my time? <laughs> that really wasn't conducive to work day in, in Belarus. So I, this notion, to, to your point about planning, I, I think it is going to require more thought because you might say, yeah, you only need to be quote unquote on the clock between 10 and two. But what happens if something breaks bad at 2.30? With, right. Yeah, right. I mean, is it, is it still like that or is it, okay, forget all that because there's an emergency to your point. Yeah. Well, I think, I also think that presence, present hours, meaning in a physical space are different from, like, I actually started to use the term since you, since you already said the word non-responsive, that's how I have been trying to push people to think about hours these days as responsive hours versus non-responsive hours, right? So what are the hours you can expect an immediate response? Everything breaks bad at 2.30, but I'm a, I'm not in the office, but I still count as responsive hours until four or five, right? Then then okay, I'm gonna have to zoom in or what have you, but I'm there, right? So I think that matters too. I think a team, but but I'm careful. I don't talk. I usually don't talk about that at the whole company level. I try and talk about it at the team level because I think it matters more there, right? We need to know when people are gonna treat an email as a synchronous piece of communication versus an asynchronous one, right? Or when people are open to getting a text message or a call from somebody on the team or the boss. We, we need to know those hours on our team. I don't know that that company-wide, like I don't need that HR has to have a running tally of everyone in the organization and what they're responsible, but the team needs to know, right? Otherwise you end up with this subtle message that, uh, yeah, every, everybody's just always responsive. And that happened at Virtus. Virtus is a, it was a consulting firm based out of Vancouver that went remote and it worked great when everyone was in Vancouver. But then, you know, hey, we're remote, we can work from anywhere. And actually it makes more sense rather than have to fly our Vancouver-based people to Toronto for any Toronto engagements, the next couple of people we hire, why don't we hire them in Toronto? And North America is only four time zones, I think five if you in Canada. I guess it's five if US and Alaska too, right? So it's okay. Well, it's like six time zones. I don't actually know. And, and you're in Arizona, that throws the whole thing off yeah, with daylight, we're right? Yeah. But it's not that hard. It's not 24 is my point. But even that was enough to have too much of a... Of a desire to be basically on for 12 hours, 10 to 12 hours every day to be responsive instead of saying, what are you doing? And what they decided was that their, their simple policy, and this is their solution, it might not be the solution for every team listening to this, is they said, whatever time zone you're in, we expect you to be responsive from nine to five in that time zone. And we'll just figure it out. If, I, if it's five o'clock in Vancouver, I can't expect somebody in Toronto to be responsive. If it's 9 a.m. in Vancouver, I can 
right? So you just do the mental, everybody do the mental math on who you're going to reach out to. And that's what we expect, right? Now, what I think is interesting is that that works. I think that works great for um, a lot of teams. I don't think it works well for teams. First, first of all, I don't think it works well for teams during a global pandemic when people are trying to Zoom school their kids. Like, so there's that. We need to over-communicate what those hours are. Um, but I also don't think it works well for teams where there is a there is a need to be responsive 24-7, right? If the server goes down at 2.30 in the morning, somebody's got to have that, right? My, my wife is an ER doctor, which you really can't do remotely. But like, even if you could, doctors for years have figured out that you have to have someone from your, your clinic on call at any time. And so you might have to add that element to it and what have you, but you can go a long way just with that responsive versus non-responsive hours, setting that policy where everybody in the team knows these are the hours I can get a hold of Phil and expect an immediate response. And these are the hours I can't. It's interesting that you mentioned that because I realized back when I was doing my first book a million years ago, that by responding to an email at 3 AM, I was implicitly telling folks I'm always available. And yeah. I realized how dangerous that was. And to your point, as a former college professor, I used to communicate in Slack. And I know you and I don't totally see eye to eye enough. That's okay. <laughs> uh, how I'd say, I am going to be in Colorado this weekend with a friend. I am not checking Slack. You already know my policy on email is in I won't answer them because Slack is our official communication mechanism. So setting that expectation is essential. I would argue, though, that that's not necessarily realistic in the corporate world because I can tell my students, this is my policy, I'm your professor, case closed, versus in any kind of organization, you're going to come across as, I'll use a kind word, a jerk, um, if you tell others, hey, here's the way that I do it. That's why I do think that your, your cultural norms are so essential. Yeah. And I, and I think there's a, you know, as a power not to equate the two, but as the, as the person who's leading a classroom, you have a, a position of power that if you're not the manager of a team or a senior leader on a team, you don't necessarily have. Right. And so I think there's two things there, right? One is, one is that yes, by responding to messages at 3am, you're suddenly sending the message to the rest of your team that you're responsive. When you're in a leadership role, other weird things can happen. Like, you know, a, a lot of, a lot of senior leaders are, Oh, you know, I, I, get home. I play with the kids. We do dinner. We put them to bed. And then, you know, I just, I just want to clear out my email inbox. So I respond to a few 10, you know, 1030 at night, whatever, while I'm watching news or what have you. Um, you and I are both not in Eastern time. So at 10 o'clock at night, you could be watching the late show. It's great. Um, it's wonderful. It's like a bonus anyway. Yeah. I, I don't miss you, NBA games anymore because they start at six. Right. Right. But what you what you subtly send the message is 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 twofold, right? One is the I'm responsive like that. But the other thing that happens is is you don't necessarily check your language around around stuff. You want to be flexible, you want to promote flexibility, but then you send that email, and then the next thing you have on your calendar is at 9:30 in the morning, you have a meeting with your team and you send the message, hey, did everybody see my email? Well, no, some people are starting their work day with that meeting. Right. And so they haven't got, had time to go through their email inbox yet because you called that meeting then too. So there's, there's the opposite side sensibility of that. And by the way, I'm guilty of this too. I was, I was famous when I was a B school professor for responding to students who love to email you at 1230, 130 in the morning. And when I had infants, right, it was like, wake up, I'm, you know, you get the, get the bottle warm, feed it. You're sitting there for like 20 minutes. Like, yeah, I'll just knock out my phone. And sure enough, the only emails are from undergraduates. And as soon as they realize you respond at 1.30, they email you all the time at 1.30 instead, right? And so, and so I'm, I learned that by experience. I didn't need data to tell me that one. <laughs> yeah, well, you're, we've been talking a lot about the difference between synchronous and asynchronous communication. And a lot of people don't make that distinction. They think that any message is fine, right? And any medium is fine. And McLuhan famously said the um, 
medium is the message. And I think a lot about that, right? If you're sending an email, there's a formality to it, right? That maybe you don't have in Slack, particularly if the organization uses both tools. Talk to me a little bit about the research because I'm aware of it, but I remember reading, leading from anywhere, how people think, oh, I'm being productive because I'm at work, but no, you're just being interrupted. And those interruptions are actually making you less productive, even though you seem to the world, oh yeah, David's on top of it. I always get a response from him. But that's actually right. hindering your productivity. Right. So that and that's what we were getting at before too, with this misconception that presence equals productivity. When we all fled from the office, a lot of managers changed presence to responsiveness, and that's how we judge who's effective, right? Phil always replies pretty quick, therefore I know he's on it, right? Well, actually, the people who are fastest to respond are probably doing it because they're not doing enough, for lack of a better term, deep work, right? They're not creating enough value, etc. When it comes to communication, you know, I, I think the bigger problem. I mean, for, there's two conversations. First is that we haven't had the conversation about asynchronous and, and synchronous and what tools are what. Everything has their defaults, right? E- email, in my opinion, is an asynchronous communication tool, but we often, because now it's on our phone, we often think it's a synchronous one. Like I almost miss the days of AOL where you had to like do the whole thing and the whatever, and then you were very careful to reply 56K, yes. Right, right. Um, but you used to, in those situations, you would maybe send one per day and you would write it out as a letter. I remember when I was in, in college, uh, my, my brother was a little bit older than me. Um, but we would is. trade. Well, yeah, I guess that's true. <laughs> you I mean, he was, yeah. Um, he was out of college was where I was going with that, but we would trade email messages and it would be, do you remember doing these where you do like a block of text and then you'd have a block of response and then a block of text. And it'd be like a four page email where we'd catch up with all sorts of stuff. Then it moved to our smartphones and it's like three sentences long. It, you might as well be. So, so that's a problem of tool, et cetera, um, interesting the asynchronous and the, but I think there also needs to be a conversation about what subjects we're talking about synchronous versus asynchronous, right? And the data you were referring to, it's something I talked about both in um, leading from anywhere and in under new management, because I profiled companies that banned internal email, right? Took the whole thing to Basecamp or Slack, or uh, I don't, I don't remember when Asana showed up, but um, took it to some sort of project management tool. The primary driver from that was research on distraction. When you're when you're constantly getting email pings, you are more stressed. We have to prove that clinically, like literally strapping heart rate monitors to people. Um, but you also it takes about 15 minutes to reset if you're interrupted from that ping, right? And I know you can change it and you can go into silent, but nobody does. Everybody defaults to whatever the developer decided they should do, right? Uh, that's why most people still use Internet Explorer. Although I was grateful. I just saw they're going to discontinue it. So that's great news. I think the <laughs> I think of version 11, which came out seven years ago, every time I touched IE, being a Mac guy, I, I needed to take a shower. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, I, let's be honest. I still use Safari half the time, right? Because it's the one that syncs between them, right? So you, you can change it, but it takes work. And so most people don't, right? And then that creates a problem. If you're constantly being interrupted, if you're if the default on Outlook, for example, is five minutes, right? Or it's push, which is forever, right? Mm-hmm. And if you're doing that and you're getting an email every five minutes and it takes 15 minutes to reset a focus, that's why you've had those days where you feel productive. And then when you stop and do an inventory of what you worked on, you're like, well, actually, all I did was clear out my email inbox. That's what happened. And we don't want that, right? We want people to be able to focus. So we need to have the conversation on a couple different levels, not only with what tools are we going to treat as asynchronous versus synchronous, but what are the rules for when we're going to, like, in my opinion, asynchronous should be the default, but there are times we want to 
um, have synchronous communication, but we should have some rules around that. What are the reasons it's okay to interrupt somebody? Or what are the reasons that for calling a meeting, just disseminating information, probably not a good one, right? Discussing something and making a decision, good reason to do synchronous communication. But we have to have that conversation on, on a team level. Right. And if we don't, we end up with exactly what you're talking about. One person's using email at all 24 hours. The other person's got like a, a, a really, really structured ability to focus because they've taken all the notifications off and moved the mail to the ops. Like I, I have two different devices. And when I'm done with work for the day, I took the smartphone that has the mail on it and I keep it in the room that I'm in right now mm. on a charging station. And I take an iPad with me upstairs that doesn't have it. So, you know, you could call me unproductive because if you email me at 4.30, I'm not going to respond until the next day. But actually, I got the recharge time I need to be productive during the rest of the day, right? So there's a lot of th reasons to have that conversation. But the biggest one is that if you're just defaulting to who's responding quick enough, you probably don't have a good idea about who's actually effective on your team. Oh, no, you're, you're conflating you know, quantity with quality, right? What's better to get six mediocre responses that if you put together kind of make sense or one thoughtful response, or to your point, people saying, you know what, let's not do this because we're talking about performance management. We're talking about an icky situation. Let's get on a call. Let's have an actual meeting to discuss something because asynchronous is not the way to go here. Yeah. Yeah. I think I actually put something similar in my intake form for your show, which was something like one of the great lessons I've learned is that if I spend more time writing email, I will get less email over time. Right. Yeah. It's a little bit like that Blaise Pascal quote. I would have made this letter shorter. I didn't have the time. Yeah. It wasn't Blaise Pascal because it's like the internet has like seven different people. And I know it wasn't Abraham Lincoln, but there are know. a bunch of them. I think it's wait, quote investigator or something.com. Uh, but I've um, over the years misstated. I think even Einstein did not say that insanity was uh, the definition was saying that doing the same thing, expecting a different result. It's, it's really weird going down the rabbit hole and it, not to get off the subject, but some of those urban myths are fascinating when you go back into and go, really? I thought that person said that. No, that's not true. Yeah, no, I agree. This is a total tangent, but you know what I want? I want somebody to invent an Instagram page that is nothing but like bad quotes. Like the, the mismatch between the quote and the person is just obviously bad, right? <laughs> right? Now we're way off, but if you go, I, th I think there's a, a website called kissthisguy.com because people used to think that Jimi Hendrix back in the day when he was singing Purple Haze, excuse me while I kiss this guy, not kiss the sky. Ah, and there are a bunch of other commonly um, misunderstood rock lyrics. Huh? Yeah. Yeah. We need it. We need a catalog for that, but for like, but, but then like in a humorous way, anyway, and enough about what I'm going to probably waste my summer creating and then no one's going to follow <laughs> it on Instagram and I'll be a total failure. Well, for those of the people, listeners who uh, were taking bets about whether or not we talk about Jimi Hendrix in the context of presence and productivity, uh, <laughs> you, you won that bet. I'll get yeah. you out of here on this. Um, what book are you currently reading? So I am actually rereading uh, The Culture Code by Daniel Coyle. Um, and the the reason for that is, uh, well, I, I should say, I should answer the question more broadly. I read like four books at a time, but that was the most interesting. That's the one I'm doing for fun. Um, because we, I, I learned a surprising amount, not only going back and interviewing a lot of the remote first companies that I've, I've worked with or interviewed before, but in writing leading from anywhere, I've, I relearned a lot about what it takes to build a deliberate team collaboration being a huge part of that. Right. Um, and I think we have a lot of misconceptions about how it works and how, it, what, what just clicking with people is, et cetera. And so that's probably 
I really want to do the the funny quote Instagram thing, but I think the next real project is a deep dive on what it takes to be deliberate about building a team that actually works, that actually performs consistently, et cetera. And so I'm going back and, and trying to find time in my day to reread a lot of the great books that I have read on teams and uh, Coils the Coach or Code would be one of them. I also just finished um, Sadal Neely's Remote Work Revolution. Um, and you know, you can see this, but no one listening is the next one is reimagining collaboration what by an, this what guy. An, what an ugly looking book. Who, who came up with the cover there? You know, I don't, I don't know, but I will tell you, um, you know, I'm, I'm, first of all, I'm glad that you sent me a copy. Thanks for sending me a copy. Um, but I've seen this cover like a gajillion times because for some reason you're targeting me on amazon.com and, and I just kept clicking away. And so you ended up having to send me the book because I just kept not buying it. No, I think it's, <laughs> we will, I will not let you unclick it. You're going to get this book one way or another, one way or another. I, I'm going to drop it off of your house from a parachute. Damn it. No, but, but I will tell you, I love it. And I'm looking, I, I've, I've scanned it. I'm looking forward to diving deeper into it because my, leading from anywhere really talks about, in, in my opinion, kind of the culture piece, the, the psych science piece, the behavior piece. And I get so many questions about like, well, yeah, but how do I use, I'm like, I don't do, I don't know how to use zoom. Right? I don't even know how to turn my microphone on right on zoom half the time. Right. I go give a, a virtual presentation and I hire someone to run all the tech behind me. Um, and so I love that you figured all that out for me. So I might actually have this all figured out before this is over. Well, it, it's, it's such an interesting space. And as you mentioned in leading from anywhere, these times are unprecedented and there are going to be experiments that work and well and, okay and not so well. Uh, I mean, there are plenty of good books out there that complement each other, right? Because yes, in both of our books, we mentioned synchronous versus asynchronous communication. We both mentioned automatic. We both mentioned Basecamp. But reading your book, and, and actually Tulsa Remote had come up on a previous episode of this podcast when I read yours, I said, yeah, just talk about kismet. But there were so many other great examples and I, I think that one size is not going to fit all. And people like you and I as you know, authors and decent speakers might be able to suggest some things, but I, I don't think that it's a recipe. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, what's that, what's that quote? Um, again, this is reason I should start the terrible Instagram page. We shape our buildings or we design our buildings and afterwards they, they shape us or something like some architect had a quote like that. Um, and I think it's the same. I mean, it, that's certainly most people's experience of work. Right. And I think the cubicle farms of the 70s, 80s, 90s was why work was such a it's why the it's why office space is funny. Right. It, like a lot of that was driven by the architecture. Well, now as we're talking about this work from anywhere world, the tools that we're using are going to shape us and our behavior, probably more so than the environment, because everybody's going to be in a little bit different environment. So all the more reason, again, to why I'm looking forward to diving into yours is, is this idea that it's not only the model we're going to use for collaboration, we have to pick our tools deliberately too, right? Yeah, I'd love to get your thoughts on it. Maybe we'll flip the microphone and I'll be the one pontificating and coming up with terrible Instagram ideas. Yeah. Oh, I would love that. We're going to be on video though. So, you I know. I put my face on. Well, you'll at least have to straighten your usual suspects poster. But yeah. You know what? It's funny you mentioned that because I saw it in the background. It's some kind of quirk. It is even, I, my uh, iPhone's got a level among the other apps that I use once in Blue Moon. It is even, <laughs> but it looks uneven. I was looking at it going, how the hell did that happen? Did the maid do something? Did, was there an earthquake I wasn't aware of? So I don't know what it is, but I, I, I'm being authentic. And I know that uh, there's a lot of a backlash now against virtual backgrounds. At first they were kind of cool. And now people say, dude, just be authentic. 
Man, I led the charge on that. I thought they were, I always thought they were terrible. First of all, like they just, everybody looks like a ghost, right? They've got this weird white halo around them at all of the edges. I have a natural halo. It actually follows me when I'm up. That's what that is. Okay. I thought it was your headphones. Um, but the, but the truth is like, we want to see what you're working in. We, we need, and we talk about this in leading from anywhere. We will, we need to understand the environment that our peers are working in because it helps us understand how to work with them. And if you're, if you're doing a virtual background all of the time, I get it. There's certain, certainly sometimes you want to do it. Um, but if you're doing it all the time, then your coworkers are going to default to assuming that you have the same internet speed, privacy in a private office, et cetera, as they do. And that could be a recipe for even more disaster. One of the things that I like about not using the virtual background is that just by having, of course, my book in the background, you know what that's like with yours, even though you're a little bit blurry with your background. Well, yeah, but I have 32 of them. So I made up for that. That, that, that is true. <laughs> <laughs> you can never have enough. Um, but by showing the usual suspects in my Rush uh, poster, I've actually had people say, wait, you're a Rush fan in five minutes. So we almost have that spontaneity that we're lacking. And yes, there are apps like Donut that you can use to kind of simulate that. But you know, imagine if you're in the office and it's casual and someone's got on a Van Halen shirt and you go, oh, dude, I was at a Van Halen concert, which one? And then you make that connection that you wouldn't have made over email because you're probably not going to email everyone at your company going, I'm wearing a Van Halen shirt today. Yeah, no, exactly. Your, your background, and this is why those like background consultants and room raider, like I think it's those things. First of all, if you've ever seen, they actually have a picture of the people behind room raiders, actual background. It's terrible. Hmm. Um, but like your background on a zoom call in the, in our current state of age, that's the version of photos on your desk, right? Or, or what you hang on your walls in your office, if you're lucky enough to have an office, right? And that's how we learn about each other. And that's how we build uncommon commonalities because we're both Rush fans or Van Halen fans or, or whatever. So that's, that's why, I mean, mine is this, it's a little blurry, but mine is essentially the same thing. It's designed to show you little bits of my personality um, and, and to advertise my work. your soul. Exactly. The eyes are not the window to the soul. Your Zoom background is that that's going on an Instagram post. I don't think we can end better than that, David. Thanks for taking the time. (laughs) Thanks so much for having me. Remember that these episodes drop every Tuesday. However, if you'd like early access to them, you're in luck. I've launched a Patreon page for this podcast at wait for it. Patreon.com forward slash Phil Simon. I've set up a number of different tiers, including early access and podcast sponsorships. Thanks for listening to Conversations About Collaboration. If you like what you heard, then how can you not? Please download, like, and or subscribe. See you next time. Remember that these episodes drop every Tuesday. However, if you'd like early access to them, you're in luck. I've launched a Patreon page for this podcast at, wait for it, patreon.com forward slash Phil Simon. I've set up a number of different tiers, including early access and podcast sponsorships. Thanks for listening to Conversations About Collaboration. If you like what you heard, then how can you not? Please download, like, and or subscribe. See you next time.